Has anyone ever heard of the book called Man's Search for Meaning? It's by an author named Viktor Frankl. It is one of my favorite books. Uh, I've recommended it to some of you. Um, and Viktor Frankl was a man that survived for three years in separate concentration camps during World War II. Um, he was liberated three years later and wrote a book about his time in the concentration camps and told stories about some of the people that he spent time with during that season. Sadly, his pregnant wife and his parents both did not survive that time, that extreme wilderness, if you will. But one of the things that he ended up writing about that was so interesting is he found a common theme amongst people that survived this wilderness season. It wasn't for everyone, but for many, the ones that made it out alive had something that the others maybe didn't have, and that word was meaning. Hence the title of the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And another way to talk about meaning, or the way that I like to paraphrase it, is just to call it hope. There were people that had hope in something during that time in a concentration camp that kept them alive. Maybe it was hope in God. Maybe it was hope in another person. Maybe it was hope in an unfulfilled task or something on their journey. Whatever it was, that meaning in their lives gave them what they needed to survive in many, many instances. There's a quote by Frankel that says, we are no longer able to change a situation, or sorry, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. So where does your hope come from in wilderness seasons? Who's guiding you when you're in the midst of a wilderness season? What are you learning during these times? It's also important to point out, like I said before, this is not just an individual thing. That's the way we all think. Something comes our way, we think, how does this affect me? That's okay, I do it too. But we're all in this together. We're a family in many ways. And it's not too hard to look back just in our very recent past and consider the pandemic as an example of a collective wilderness that we went through. Many of us swapped from a time of comfort to a time of uncertainty like that. Many people were literally isolated from others, felt isolated in different ways. Many relationships were broken because of our differences of opinion, because of politics. This was the start of wilderness seasons for so many people and collectively for all of us. We weren't prepared for this. And some people even experienced the deep pain of losing a loved one during this season. It was horrible. And, and while things are not the way they were in 2020 today, thankfully, everything's not the way that it was before either. Things are different now forever. 
And you could say it's been a wilderness season for the church, the big church in America as well. I don't know if you've looked around lately, but a lot of people left the church. A lot of people are still on their way out the door. They've lost faith because of crises in their life or because of failures they've seen in others that they've trusted. And many have just been hurt deeply and given up. Maybe you felt like giving up at some point. So where does our collective hope come from in the wilderness? Who's guiding us? Who's sustaining us as a people group, as a church, as a family? And what if, what if these wilderness seasons were seasons where God's presence was most amplified? What if these seasons shaped us in ways that seasons of comfort just can't? I love this quote from Corey Russell. He's a pastor and a prayer warrior. And he says, throughout the Bible, we see that God chooses again and again to form his people in the wilderness. It is the furnace of transformation. The place where our facades, illusions, fantasies, and props are removed and we come face to face with our nothingness. In the wilderness, God strips us of our independence and rebellion and teaches us to depend on him. I love that furnace of transformation phrase. Anyone ever been through the furnace? Maybe once, twice, ten times? Need another trip? I could use another trip through, I think. I want to give us a couple of biblical examples right now to help guide us because the Bible is just full of wilderness examples. Like, there are so many, as I was kind of doing some research, like, what are the ones I want to choose? There is way too many to choose them all, but it happens a lot. Here's the first one. Maybe you're familiar with God's people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, the Hebrews. There's a, let's pick up the story uh, when they're in slavery in Egypt. Moses arrives, and after a long series of plagues, Pharaoh finally agrees to let the people go, only to go back on his word and chase them right out into the desert, right? But the Red Sea parts in dramatic fashion. A miracle happens that allows the people to go through unharmed while their attackers perish. Exodus 13 talks about this in verses 17 and 18, and it says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Verse 18, but God led the people around by way of the wilderness. On purpose. God's like, it's wilderness time. And during this 40-year journey, can you imagine 40 years in wilderness? No, me neither. During this 40-year journey, so much happens. The people, you know what they do? They complain. They rebel. They're like, why didn't you just leave us to be slaves? The food was better. Exodus 16 talks about God sending them literal food from the sky. Ever had any food come from the sky? 
Not that I wanted to eat. (laughs) Exodus 17, God gives the people water to drink from a rock. Like good water that sustained them, that they needed desperately. And later on, we find a passage in Deuteronomy 8.2 that talks about after the 40 years. Looking back, it says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. If I slow down and pause, that means it's important. In order to know what was in your heart. The wilderness can humble us, can it? Sometimes it tests us. And often it exposes what's in our hearts. Times of comfort don't do that. Can you notice when God leads you and feeds you during your times in the wilderness? Also, many of the Israelites did not survive this season. Many of them did not survive The wilderness is hard. It is brutal, unforgiving, desolate. Here's our next example. Jumping forward in the Old Testament a little bit to talk about King David. And uh, to start off, I just want to, you know, let's pick it up where he's pretty young. David's a shepherd, part of a big family of brothers, but he's pretty much an afterthought. He's the youngest. Anybody... The youngest feel like an afterthought? Yeah, maybe. David definitely was until Samuel came to find the next king. And a miraculous moment happens with David when he's chosen as that king in 1 Samuel 16. But here's the catch. Another king was already, was already on the throne. And uh, in 1 Samuel 16... Verse 10, it says, Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are all these the sons you have? And this is the afterthought part. Well, there's the youngest. Jesse said, he's tending the sheep. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance, handsome features. And the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. The little guy. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Don't don't sleep on this part. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David. But David had a promise, but no position. He had a promise, but no position. And he begins to serve King Saul in his courts as a musician, but he also doesn't leave his shepherding job. He has to return to the wilderness where, by the way, a shepherding job was not a good job, people. Others were not lining up for this gig. You had to be alone. People didn't trust shepherds. It was not great. So David's out there in the wilderness. What do you think God's teaching him during this time? How do you think God is sustaining him 
this guy with this promise but no position. Well, one way this story plays out is David's out in the wilderness and one day his dad says, David, your brothers, they need food. They're fighting the Philistines. Will you just bring them some food? So the future king of Israel becomes like a glorified Uber driver and goes to bring them lunch. And when he's there, he hears Goliath taunting the Israelites, calling them out, saying, somebody come out and fight me. And everybody around, including his brothers, are like, ugh, not me. Somebody else want to do that? And David steps up, takes the position, and he's victorious. In his book, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark Sayers writes about David at this moment. And he says, David won the battle by applying the lessons learned in the wilderness. Before David had even approached the Philistine front, the battle was already won. Where? In the quiet spaces of the wilderness. In hiddenness. In the growth that can only occur off the radar. And here's the third scriptural example. And it's Jesus. Remember Jesus in the wilderness? You know about this? Well, here's how it went down. Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John, another wilderness alumni. And you hear a voice from heaven in this miraculous moment that says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. And what feels like almost immediately as you're reading, it says, and then Jesus was transported into the wilderness to be tempted. Immediately, things change. Matthew 4 says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so Jesus fasts for 40 days to prepare. He spends time focusing on the presence of the Father, setting food aside and allowing the Father's will and his to be aligned even more. To prepare for battle. To have his heart shaped in ways in order to be ready for what's next. And then the accuser shows up. The enemy shows up and tempts him, tries to get him. And all Jesus has for him is scripture, the word of God that flies directly in his face and ends up winning another battle. So you notice any themes in these three examples with Israel and David and Jesus? Well, one of them I want to point out is that Times in the wilderness often come right after a high point, a peak. Something good happens, right? Remember Israel, they had this Red Sea moment. They got led through the Red Sea, and then it's like, oh, 40 years of wilderness, <laughs> right? David gets this promise, you're going to be king. It's going to be amazing. Oh, I got to go back and take care of the sheep. And Jesus gets baptized and immediately heads to the wilderness, Another connection to how God sustains everybody in wilderness seasons. He reminds us that our hope and our meaning comes through connection with him. This is a key to survival. Remember the Deuteronomy text? It states that God led you in the wilderness in order to know what was in your heart. David's time in the wilderness seems to have changed his heart. We don't know that specifically. 
but we do know a lot of the words that he came up with and ended up in the Psalms. And there's definitely some pieces that feel like they're pulled from the wilderness there, aren't there? Seasons in the wilderness can remind us of where our hope or meaning come from. Those that recognize this can survive and many become equipped for what is next. So how do we embrace the wilderness? When you find yourself in the midst of a season that feels desolate and dry and lonely, what is God trying to teach you? He's not making you uncomfortable, but he's teaching you within that. He's not causing you discomfort, but he's bringing things out of you that might not have come out if you weren't in that place. I want to suggest a couple wilderness guides for us to help us here, okay? And the first is going to shock you, but it's prayer, people. We should probably pray. Does that seem like a good idea? It's a wilderness guide. What if we committed to a life of prayer this summer? What if we decided to step in to prayer in a new, exciting way with our families, with our kids, with our friends, what if we committed to the prayer room Monday morning, 7 a.m., by the way? It's a great time to pray. Not the only, but a great one. Remember how I mentioned David's in the Psalms talking about maybe what might describe wilderness seasons. Psalm 55, 17 says, Morning, noon, and night I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. Sometimes that's all you've got in the wilderness is distress. And the Lord hears you. Also, like, there's an amazing scripture in 1 Peter 4, 7 that I just want to toss in here. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. What does it look for you and me to be alert this summer when it comes to prayer? To prioritize that time, that communication with the Father. I think that's a pretty great wilderness guide, you guys. And one that might even be better is definitely just as good as Scripture. Maybe you notice that when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness... The only weapon that he uses is the word of God. And maybe you've also noticed that Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6. He's talking about spiritual warfare, the battle that we face as followers of Jesus. And he tells you about the helmet and the breastplate and the belt. and the, You know this one? There's one weapon amongst all of that. It's the sword of truth, which is the word of God. The wilderness means you need to come equipped. The word of God is some of the best weapons that you have. It is the best weapon that you have. I want to tell you a really quick story about this guy named Avagris Ponticus. Everybody's heard of him, right? Probably not. He's a fourth century monk who um, John Mark Comer talks about in his latest book, Live No Lies. 
And so I love how this is phrased, and it's interesting. It just says, one day, he decided to go to the wilderness and fight the devil. <laughs> like you do. He wanted to follow Jesus in this way after reading about the story that we talked about. And word got out that he was winning. And people started to seek him out for counsel. Like, what? How, how exactly is this working? And he wrote a book. It's more of a handbook. And it's called Talking Back, a monastic handbook for combating demons. It's a pretty good subtitle. <laughs> but it's taken. But his book was a simple formula which took things that he felt the enemy was saying to him. The thoughts and the lies that we all encounter, right, that lead to destruction, and he fought them directly with Scripture only. And he wrote it down. It sounds simple, but it's not. We don't immerse ourselves in Scriptures in order to be filled with information, after all. It's to be transformed. And he talks about uh, doing this. This is how you and I can do it. John Mark Homer says, and if you paid attention to these repeating thoughts in your head, you're able to notice that some of them were definitely not from God or were not healthy. And when you can notice one of those, this is what you can do. Here's an example. This week, I'm thinking of these thoughts. I know I need to give this talk on Sunday. I'm tired. I'm not prepared. I don't have any really good stories to share with everybody. I'm really not ready for this. I'm not sure if I can do it. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Right? What if every time those types of thoughts came into my head, I said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. What if we were combating the lies of the enemy with scripture daily? And over time, those things become the new pathway in your brain. The old one that gives in to the lies and believes or even listens to them gets replaced with the word of God, which defeats the enemy. It's in, it's in the Bible, guys. I didn't make it up. So what do you need to write down and commit to memory when it comes to combating lies during a wilderness season? Maybe you need somebody to, to read the Bible with. For a really long time, the Bible was not in paper books like we have it everywhere now. And the only way that people would consume it is with each other. This is part of what I love about our house groups. If you're not in a house group, please come to our house groups. We eat really great food, and we talk about a passage of Scripture. Usually we read it out loud, maybe once or twice, and then we just talk about it. We ask questions about it. Have you ever seen this? I've never noticed that. This is what it reminds me of. This puts the word of God front and center in our hearts and minds, and we get to do it together to address our collective wilderness. So, what if these wilderness guides are the key to not only surviving in the wilderness, but what if they're the things that equip us for what's next? The people of Israel that did survive the wilderness were led into the promised land. David becomes a hero after killing Goliath 
And later on, even though he had other wilderness seasons, one of the greatest kings in history. Jesus doesn't really launch into his ministry and has done no miracles until after he beats the enemy in the wilderness. The wilderness seasons were preparing all these people for other things, and they're doing the same thing with you right now, if you're in the midst of it. And what I fully believe is that renewal is what is waiting on the other side for us. Renewal can be defined as the replacing or repair of something that is worn out, run down, or broken. The replacing or repair. And God's a replacer. He he doesn't mess with repairs. He's going to replace the brokenness that you've experienced in your wilderness season with something brand new. And I believe that God wants to shape you in the furnace of formation during the wilderness seasons so that your worn out brokenness can be replaced by his hope, by his meaning, by his power. And I also believe that he wants to do that for the church in the United States and maybe even in Covington. He wants us to be formed by our wilderness seasons in order to bring life and love and hope, the things that are so desperately needed right now in our society. So many people are broken, you guys. It's painful. When you walk around Isaiah House and we do our ministries there once a a month on Saturday morning, you hear the most broken stories of people. This is real life. They need hope. They need meaning. We carry it. But it only happens if we embrace the wilderness and let it shape us. And remember, a lot of people don't make it through the wilderness, but if we trust our guide, our guides, we've got a great chance to make it and be better equipped for a season of renewal.